This fall at Kenilworth Union, we're preaching a sermon series called The Greatest of These, in which we're looking at St. Paul's description of love in 1 Corinthians 13. So this is the lesson from the Christian scriptures. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clashing cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and have all knowledge and have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand my body over so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. And then from the Hebrew Scriptures, this lesson from 1 Kings 21. Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. And the king said to Naboth, give me your vineyard so that I may have it for a garden because it is near my house. I'll give you a better vineyard for it, or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you my ancestral inheritance. Ahab went home resentful and sullen because of what Naboth had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you my ancestral inheritance. And Ahab lay down on his bed and would not eat. Ahab's wife Jezebel came to him and said, Why are you so so depressed that you will not eat? And Ahab said to her, Because Naboth won't give me his vineyard. And Jezebel said to him, Don't you govern Israel? Get up and eat and be cheerful. I'll get that vineyard for you. Jezebel convinced two scoundrels to accuse Naboth of treason and blasphemy. So they took him out and stoned him to death. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I was a kid in Sunday school, Ahab was my favorite Israelite king because he was so reliably and comprehensively awful. When Ahab was on the throne, everything was either blowing up or breaking or dying. It was exciting to a little kid. It was like watching an episode of Westworld or Game of Thrones. Because every good story needs one of these vivid, violent, venal villains, right? Who would want to read about Middle-earth without Sauron? Or about Narnia without the White Witch? Or about Hogwarts without Voldemort? Or, speaking of Ahab, who would want to read about King Ahab without Moby Dick? Ahab was the undisputed king of Israel in the ninth century before Jesus, and at that time, Israel is near the zenith of its global hegemony, so presumably, this king Ahab can have anything his royal little grasping heart desires, but he wants more. He wants to build a garden next to his estate. Unfortunately, his neighbor Naboth's 20-acre vineyard is in the way. Now, As you can tell, this is an early instance of eminent domain. If your family has owned a diner in the West Loop for generations and a rich real estate developer comes along and wants to build a 50-story skyscraper on that site, the diner owner is in trouble, especially if the real estate developer takes Brandon Johnson out to lunch at Luke's Lobster once in a while. 
when Ahab's negotiations with Naboth are about as successful as the UAWs with GM and Stellantis, Ahab goes home and pouts so pathetically that his wife Jezebel arranges it so that two scoundrels will accuse Naboth of treason and blasphemy and they go out and execute him. Problem solved. Ahab is the 9th century B.C. version of Vladimir Putin, concocting a land grab from a smaller, weaker neighbor. God is so disgusted with Ahab that God makes sure that the rest of Ahab's reign will be unhappy, his death violent, and his dynasty foreshortened. Ahab, of course, suffers from the deadly sin of envy. In St. Paul's multifaceted description of love in 1 Corinthians 13, there are many things that love is and some things that love is not. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It's not. But if love is not envious, what is it? We might say that love is content with what it has. We might say that a loving person boasts the virtue of equanimity. That is to say, she is serene and confident and at ease. She doesn't clutch and grasp and seize. Paul doesn't quite say this, but almost it is impossible to be both loving and envious at the same time. If you love someone, you will never resent or even want their success and happiness. It's often pointed out that envy is the only one of the seven deadly sins, that's no fun. All the others have a payoff, right? <laughs> Gluttony and lust give you a mild dopamine kick, and if you're proud, you feel good about yourself, and with greed, you get stuff, and if you're slothful, you can sleep until noon. Even anger is satisfying sometimes, but envy is never any fun. Someone talked about the searing heartburn of envy, the searing heartburn of envy. Yes, envious people feel as if their insides are being corroded away by some poisonous bile that they've generated themselves but are somehow powerless to ebb. Envy has an ugly twin sister called Schadenfreude, which is German for shadow joy. Schadenfreude is sorrow in another person's success or joy in their failures and hurts. Someone said, in the misfortunes of our friends, there is something that is not displeasing to us. <laughs> Envy has less to do with what we lack than what our neighbor has. You know what I mean? You know, most of the time we're well-fed and well-clothed and well-loved and well-sheltered. We don't need anything more. We're satisfied until somebody comes along who does have more. I've probably shared this with you before. This has been proven over and over again in experiment after experiment. Americans would rather earn $50,000 a year, if everybody around them is earning $40,000 a year, than earn $100,000 a year if everybody around them is earning $125,000 a year. We don't necessarily want more. We want more than our neighbor. H.L. Mencken said, in America, happiness is making $10 a week more than your brother-in-law. <laughs> Maybe you've heard this story before. Two shopkeepers have stores 
across the street from each other. They're bitter rivals. They vie for every customer who comes down the street and they gloat if they're able to steal a customer from the competition. And then one night an angel in a dream visits one of these shopkeepers and the angel says, God has sent me to tell you you can have whatever you want in the world. You want to be rich, you'll be rich. You want to have long life, you'll have long life. There's only one catch. Whatever you get, your neighbor gets twice as much. You want to be rich, your neighbor will be twice as rich. You want to live long, your neighbor will live twice as long. What do you want? And the man thinks about this for a long time, and finally he says, strike me blind in one eye. (laughs) It's not about what we lack, it's what our neighbor has. Sisters Eileen Tarr and Ellen Hess remember the day from their childhood in 1966 when they put their father on a plane at the Pittsburgh airport bound for Vietnam. Chief Warrant Officer James Dowling had already served in the South Pacific in World War II and then in Korea, and now they were sending him to Vietnam. And these little girls, they were in like the third and fourth grade at the time. This was the saddest day of their life. One little girl was so dejected she couldn't go, go to school that day. It was brutal in B- Vietnam. You remember? It's 1966 in Vietnam. It was brutal. You never knew if they were coming home. Back then, tours to Vietnam were one year long. And so these girls' mother made a chain of 365 safety pins. And she hung it from a lamp, a floor lamp, in their living room. And the chain was so long that it wrapped several times around the lampshade and then dropped down to the floor where it rested in a pile. And every evening after she wrote her daily letter to her husband, the mother would remove a safety pin. And of course, over the months, the chain got smaller and smaller. It was a wonderful day when there were too few pins to pool up on the floor And it was another wonderful day when it was too short to wrap around the lampshade. If one of the girls got an A at school that day, she was the one that got to remove the safety pin. Or if it was her birthday, she got that honor. And then, of course, after 365 days, there are no pins left. And Officer James Dowling comes marching home safely. And he not only comes home safe, he comes home with the Bronze Star. If your father comes home whole from war or if your wife comes home from the hospital after serious surgery, hale and well and healed or if your daughter comes home from university at Thanksgiving bursting with new knowledge and excitement about the growing largeness of life on this planet, what more do you need? Now, go ahead and envy Brad Pitt for his coven of comely concubines and his six adorable orphans and his $20 million a movie salary. Go ahead and envy Tom Brady for his impossible good looks and his seven Super Bowl rings. But what do you need that for? You've already won the lottery. 